Innocuous voices from the front lines. And we always try to have an optimistic point of why are you listening to this at 7 in the morning? Because being serious can still be uplifting. In fact, that's the main thing that's uplifting is being serious. But the show is all about hope. The show is all about what are you going to do about it? So as a writer, one reason I write is because I want to feel hope. You know, I mean, if I'm upset about something, okay, I'm going to write an article about it. You know, I assume millions of people are going to read it and jump up and down and do something. Rarely happens, but people read it. Jenny reads it, Akuna reads it, listens to it. And we're trying to influence people, right, and encourage people in the resistance. So for our Palestinian friends all over the world, we do care deeply about what's happening about the U.S., Israeli, European genocide against the Palestinian people. But it's also understand that there is such a thing as resisting a genocide that is happening. Genocide does not mean that there's no hope. Genocide is specific action taken to destroy an entire people by a government. I'll read you the statute more explicitly. But if you're the people that the government is trying to destroy, like black people in the United States, Black people in the United States have faced the genocide from not the day they got here, but the day they were captured in Africa and then held in prisons and then put on the boats and the ships and brought here. The genocide was throughout all of Africa. Okay, so what I'm going to do today is first I'm going to read you the genocide statutes because for a lot of you out there, you may just think it's genocide, it's genocide, it's genocide Joe. It's an actual legal document that ex that was passed in 1948 that people can argue about. Then I'm going to read you my two-page introduction to the article Delegitimizing and Eviscerating Benjamin Netanyahu's Final Solution to the Palestinian Problem. And then I'm going to go into a lot of detail and then we'll probably take a music break in between, Jan, because it's so heavy. And I'm going to read a lot, mainly read and commentary on the beautiful, important motion application uh, by the Republic of South Africa uh, against the State of Israel, a request for the court indicate provisional measures to protect the rights invoked herein from imminent and irreparable loss. What's important about it, you need to hear this. This is specific legal intervention to try to stop something. It's not something to just, uh, South Africa is going to go on the record. We all know by now, the whole world knows it's genocide. But this is calling on the United States, because that is who dominates the United Nations, to stand on this. And if the United States votes against it, which they will, it's still an important organizing document that's going to still evolve questions of the reform of the United Nations, because at some point we have to figure out what do we do if the United States has consistent veto power. So it's very important historically, and big praise to the South African government for doing this, because this is an 88-page document, which is not a lot. Not a lot. It's well, we I've already about 20 pages into it, and so is Channing. And okay, so you bear with me here. First, I want to read you the. What is genocide? 
Then I'm going to read you the introduction to my piece. Then we'll take a music break. Then we're going to go into some details on the South African uh, appeal. Next week, we're going to have a South African brother on who's going to talk about it. Couldn't get him today. But picture this resolution as a guest. The South African government, when I read that, it's not me. It's them. Okay, get it? So let's start with what is genocide? Um, I think about genocide all the time, so I'm just going to read it. And this is from Wikipedia, which is, I think, great. What is the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide? The Convention on the Prevention, remember, and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, or the Genocide Convention, is an international treaty that criminalizes genocide and obligates state parties to pursue the enforcement of its prohibition, that is to say, calls on other governments to do so. It was first legally instrumented to codify genocide as a crime, and the first human rights treaty unanimously passed by the United Nations General Assembly on the 9th of December, 1948, 48. So almost about 80 years, 80 years ago. Uh, during the third session of the United Nations, the convention entered into force by 51. Now, I'm just going to go to the definitions. The convention defines genocide, and you should like all by now read the strategies that I should learn to just recite it. Recite it. Uh, five acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethical, racial, or religious group. These five acts include, number one, killing members of the group, which obviously Israel is doing, causing them seriously bodily or mentally harm, which Israel is doing to the people of Palestine, and the United States is doing to black people, imposing living conditions intending to destroy the group, which are inflicted both on the people of Palestine and indigenous people and black people, preventing births and forcibly transferring children out of the group, in this case, it's murdering children in the group. And if you look at the whole foster care and adoption program, these are children who have been transferred out of the black community. Now, the victims are targeted because of their real or perceived membership of a group, not randomly. Conventionally further criminalizes complicity. This is important. Attempt or incitement of its commission because Netanyahu article is inciting to genocide, but he's inciting himself because he's the person who has the power to carry out the very thing he's inciting. So remember, complicity, that means you and me you need to know that. We are all complicit in this genocide if we don't do something about it. That's the burden. That's what Channing said about how now... You didn't want to have the holidays. How can we have the holidays in, in the middle of this? We don't want to be complicit by giving out a lot of gifts and jumping around while, while they're murdering people. Channing also said, this is our Vietnam. You say a lot of good things, Channing. And this is our Vietnam. For this generation, for this moment, this is our Vietnam. This is the central historical event happening in the world, the resolution of which is going to move history forward or backward, and we have to move it forward. 
So that's genocide. You have to remember again, when you say genocide, and people say, what do you mean by that? You have to say the murder of a group. You have to say causing harm to the group. You have to say forcing a group out of its normal place of living. It has to do with preventing births. It has to do with inflicting harm, driving people out of their community, inflicting psychological and material harm. That's my best effort to remember what I just read. But I gotta, I'm sure I didn't get it quite as good as the language. All right, you still with me? This is Eric Mann. You're on KPFK. Thank God for KPFK. 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And please go on our website, and several of you have, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, because you'll be able to hear this show in a day or two. You'll be able to hear last week's show. You'll really be able to hear the last 10 years of Voices through the um, search process. And there's amazing shows. Okay, so, and then register, please, on the site. When you go on voicesfromthefrontlines.com, you'll click on, you register, and you'll be getting, we don't do it every week, but you'll get an email before, and often you'll get the, the podcast afterwards attached to an email. Okay, so here's my introduction. For those of you who heard me last week, it's the same concept, but Pay attention to how I had to use the words differently, although they're a lot of the same words. Our three prerequisites for peace. We must destroy Hamas, demilitarize Gaza, and de-radicalize the whole of Palestinian society by Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, ironically, on Christmas Day, 2023. The Israeli Prime Minister, speaking for the Israeli ruling classes, and the vast majority of Israeli settlers has written an article on three prerequisites for peace, published in the Wall Street Journal on December 25th, 23rd. It is terrifying. It's the most explicit and unapologetic manifesto that the Israeli final solution to the Palestinian problem is the total annihilation and mass murder of the Palestinian people. The specific Tactical proposals he advocates. We must destroy Hamas, demilitarize Gaza, and de-radicalize all of Palestinian society. Go beyond the horrors of the Israeli concentration camp, horrors, in Gaza, to lay out a comprehensive three-part plan to achieve the objectives of having no Palestinians alive in Palestine. In this vision, all of Palestine will be permanently occupied by the Israeli, quote, chosen people, that comes from Judaism, and it's one-state Jewish solution, meaning there will be, you can't have a two-state because there's no other people there. In this scenario, the Palestinians are such a burden to Israel in their existence and resistance that the Israelis believe the only solution, the final solution, is that Palestine will no longer exist. In that scenario, the few Palestinian people who managed to survive the mass murder will never again return to their homelands. So when Israel says never again, they say it means never again will we be subjected to the Nazis, but they mean never again will the Palestinians ever be in Palestine. 
When I read the article, I was revolted and terrified. I've been working on an intensive interrogation of this text, as part of so many others who have over five centuries been at war with the European white settler state genocide. This is an effort to contribute to the movement for Palestinian resistance and take a clear stand in the war of ideas on the side of the indigenous, civilized third world people and against the barbarian, white, Christian and Jewish, U.S. and European settlers, of whom the Israelis are part. Now, my article and worldview begin with one central assumption. Israel is a white, European, Jewish settler state based on a Zionist theory of conquest, occupation, and genocide. Israel only exists because it's an ally, beneficiary of, and proxy for British and our U.S. imperialism. Zionist theory and strategy from the beginning has been based on the U.S. and European theories of racial genocide reflected in the battle between, and this is Netanyahu's word, the civilized world against barbarism. We got that, that the United States says there's a battle of the civilized world against barbarism. The Spanish said that when they came to the Americas. The Israelis say they came into uh, Israel-Palestine in a fight between civilization and barbarism. Just remember that they mean, you know, all third world people are barbaric in their theory, and all the Europeans are civilized. And of course, we think the opposite. Now, the Zionist fiction that the Jews were a people without a land, and Palestine was a land without a people, is, of course, a lie. But it's the vision of the Israeli settlers that as soon as possible, Palestine will be a land without Palestinian people. The Jewish people who suffered immeasurably from Nazi genocide could have demanded a secular Jewish state in Germany as part of the terms of the defeat of Nazi Germany. But from the 1800s, that was never its intent. The Zionist leaders understood the world was already occupied. So their solution was to go on the imperialist powers who believed they owned other countries and people to call on them to create a home for the Jewish people by carving it out of lands and civilizations that the imperialists occupied. That is, the specific history of Zionist strategy depends on a confluence with British objectives to continue its hegemony in the Middle East and to appease its powerful Jewish Zionist supporters. Needless to say, the British did not try to appease the many Jewish anti-fascists and communists who demanded the end to the British, European, and U.S. imperialism. Now, there are many excellent histories of Palestinian resistance and Israeli barbarism. I recommend among them the brilliant four-DVD set by Al Jazeera, Al-Nakba, the Palestinian catastrophe. Now, if you call 818-985-5735, I don't even know if we're in fundraising right now. But if you call and leave a message and say you want to give $250, you can get this amazing 4DVD set that Leanne and I have watched, and I'm going to watch again this weekend. It's, it's terrifying and great. But also, 
Rashid Khalidi's Transformative of the Hundred Years' War on Palestine, A History of Settler Colonialism and Resistance, which is at the Strategy and Soul Bookstore, which you can get by going to, uh, where do they go, Jane, to get the book? Strategyandsoulbookstore.com. Oh, get that now, huh? Pretty cool. Strategyandsoulbookstore.com. Nobody had that one. Yeah, and so you can get, we eventually, we, we, I think we should get the DVD set as well and sell it. But for now, you get that book, and several people have. Almost finished. Now, those films and books have reinforced my existing beliefs, and they took my understanding and consciousness to qualitatively higher levels. The revolutionary conclusion is that those of us on the side of the third world completely agree with that battle between barbarism and civilization. But we argue that the indigenous, black, African, Vietnamese, Chinese, Cuban, Venezuelan people before the European Holocaust of the 14th and 15th centuries had constructed advanced civilizations for millennia. Those civilizations were invaded, raped, decimated by the barbaric Christian and now Jewish imperialist powers who built their empires on stolen land and the annihilation of its inhabitants. Imperialism is by its inherent nature is a system based on the super exploitation of native peoples, mass murder, fascism, genocidal racism, occupation, and annihilation of indigenous people. In rereading and rereading Netanyahu's text, I have dozens of been raised observations of his explicitly hateful and genocidal arguments that are all reflective of the deranged mind and worldview of the white settlers. In rebuttal, all my arguments are based on one fundamental observation that I've expanded from the brilliant work of Amis Sazal, the Martinican revolutionary, in his discourse on colonialism. Europe, the U.S., and Israel are indefensible. So just one more comment on my comment. For those of you who, you know, study left history and care about these subjects, there's a lot of discussion in the United States about the rise of fascism. Most of us third worlders do not agree with that. We think the United States was built on fascists. George Jackson, the prisoner, said the United States is a fascist state. The indigenous people certainly felt the United States was a fascist state. I'm not saying all, but most of the people talk about the rise of fascism are white. Because they're starting to say, whoops, fascism coming after me. But no, fascism has already been here. It's just expanding now to even white people. And that's why some people would say, oh, it's fascism, it's fascist. It is. But I think the U.S. is inherently fascist. So one more thought, and then uh, we'll go to a musical break. Um, the reason I'm doing a lot of this textual analysis is because if you're an organizer, the other side is going to say some very interesting things that are an attempt to be persuasive. So they will say United States, France, England, triggering you to believe, yes, I'm in with all those civilized people. 
But of course, you should know when you say those names to me, there are genocidal countries. So the point of all this debate over words is related to the debate over deeds. And after a break, I'm going to talk to you about the South African uh, case against Israel that's based on the genocide statute that I read to you earlier. Hang in there. I know this is a lot, but this is all I think about, and I think a lot of you are doing the same. Let's take a break, Janet. Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show. You're on KPFK 90.7 FM, 98.7 FM, Ridgecrest, Santa Barbara, and wherever else. The song you just heard was Freedom by Sly and Robbie, and we are talking about the Palestinian liberation and specifically the introduction to an upcoming article that Eric is speaking about Netanyahu and destroying his. statement on the final solution of Palestine. Um, So what I'm explaining to people is that um, the South African government has created a a lengthy application based on what I read you, interesting, the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide of 1948. And based on that it's charging Israel with genocide and begging the United States to stop it, the United Nations, I'm sorry, to stop it. So that's the point. It's not simply protesting it. It's saying the United Nations is obligated to jump in and stop these mass murders. So Cheney and I are going to take turns reading uh, the statement of facts. I'm going to do 18. You see where it says 18? And then 19. Why don't you read 18 and I'll read it. Before we say that, just to just to say, as I'm still learning about the United Nations, I look at some of the history, and, and especially with the history that I know the most, which is Rwanda, where you saw the United Nations actually come in with forces to stop the actual Rwandan uh, civil war. And so 
I don't know if they're going to do that with Israel or if that's even politically feasible, but I, I feel like one of the questions that have been on my mind is what makes the United Nations enforceable? And I think that is the question that we're kind of speaking into as well. Well, I think I can, if I can answer it, uh, it's a miracle when the United Nations are allowed to do anything. And it can only do it with the support of the United States and England because Russia and China already would totally support this. So apparently in the case of the Rwandan genocide, all the world powers agreed it should be stopped. And the case of the Israeli genocide against the Palestinian people, Joe Biden's not even for a ceasefire. So uh, the answer is yes. What I thought your point is well taken, which is if it wants to and can, the United, States, uh, the United Nations, I keep calling it the United States for obvious reasons, the United <laughs> Nations can send an international peacekeeping troop to get between the two parties and stop it. Thanks, Channing. So now this is the introduction of the section of facts, and it's paragraph number 18. I'm sorry, let me move closer to the mic so you can hear me. And it says, since uh, October 7, 2023, Israel has engaged in large-scale military assault by land, air, sea, on the Gaza Strip, otherwise known as Gaza a narrow strip of land approximately 365 square kilometers, one of the most densely populated places in the world. Gaza, home to approximately 2.3 million people, almost half of them children, has been subjected by Israel to what has been described as one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. By October 29, 2023 alone, it was estimated that 6,000 bombs per week had been dropped on, a t- on the tiny enclave. In just over two months, Israel's military attacks have weakened more destruction than raising of Syria's Aleppo uh, between 2012 and 2016, Ukraine's Mariupol, or proportionally the Allied bombing of Germany in World War II, which is huge. The destruction wrought by Israel is so extreme that Gaza is now a different color that Gaza is now a different color from space. It's a different texture. You know if you heard that, it's a whole different color and texture. As stated by the United Nations Security General in a letter dated on December 6, 2023, to the President of the United Nations Security Council, of which the United Nations General Assembly took express note in Resolution ESIO 22 of December 12, 2023, on the protection of civilians and upholding legal and humanitarian obligations, Civilians throughout Gaza face grave danger. Since the start of Israel's military occupation, more than 15,000 people have been reportedly killed, over over 40% of whom were children. Thousands of others have been injured. More than half of all homes have been destroyed. Some 80% of the population of 2.2 million 
have been forcibly displaced into increasingly small areas, smaller areas. More than 1.1 million people have sought refuge in UNRWA facilities across Gaza, creating overcrowded, undignified, and unhygienic conditions. Others have nowhere to shelter and find themselves on the street. Explosive remnants of war are rendering areas uninhabitable. There is no effective protection of civilians. The healthcare system in Gaza is collapsing. Hospitals have turned into battlegrounds. Only 14 hospitals out of 36 facilities even are even partially functional. The two major hospitals in South Gaza are operating three times their bed capacity and are running out of basic supplies and fuel. They are also sheltering thousands of displaced persons. Under those conditions, more people will die untreated in the coming days and weeks. Nowhere is safe in Gaza. Amid constant bombardment by the Israel uh, defense forces and without shelter or essential essentials to survive, I expect public order to completely break down soon due to desperate impact, um, rendering even limited humanitarian assistance impossible. An even worse situation could unfold, including endemic diseases and increased, uh, increased pressure for mass displacement into neighboring countries. While delivery of supplies through Rafa continues, quantities are insufficient and have dropped since the pause came to an end. We are simply unable to reach those in need inside Gaza. We are facing a severe risk of collapse of, humani- of the humanitarian system. The, system. the situation is fast deteriorating into a catastrophe with potentially irreversible implications for Palestinians as a whole and for peace and serenity uh, and security in the region. Such an outcome must be avoided at all costs. Yeah, so let's just talk about that for a minute. Um, I don't know, you know, we've been reading this since, what, October 7th, November 7th, December 7th, January 7th. Um, I, I can't explain it. The people are writing like this may happen, that, you know, uh, people are eating, drinking salt water. I mean, I don't even know what it's like to be out without a coat, let alone on the street, on the uh, on the idea that they have just destroyed people's homes. So there's no place to go. It's a tiny, tiny strip, 25 miles long, and no more than at one place seven miles, another place three miles wide. So it's just like, just like a, what do you call it, a target practice, because they have no weapons, they have no place to go. You wouldn't even let them go beforehand. And that Rafa pass, which we'll talk about again and again, which Egypt is not opening. So Egypt and, and Israel are complicit in this. And I just been studying the Rafa pass is theoretically in Egypt. So Egypt even has sovereignty to open it. So there's no humanitarian aid coming in. People are being murdered. It's almost reaching the point where, as great as what you're saying, it sounds like it's even worse. You know? I mean, I think this is amazing. 
Any thoughts on that before I go into the next section? I mean, everything you just said. It's even worse. I mean, what you read in just this section and in other parts of the document is that when you even take the most egregious um, events in history, they are worse than that. Um, and I, I, I mean, let me be careful how I say this um, because I still need to read a lot of history. But almost unlike any other event in history, it seems that half the world is just sitting around looking at it and saying, yeah, it's bad, but then there are other things more important. And so this document, it makes this document even so much more important because it is an indictment of what's going on. And it's not just an indictment about Israel. I think for every person listening to KPFK right now that is not doing anything about Palestine, or any person that's not listening to KPFK that's still not doing anything about Palestine, I think you have to see that this is an indictment against yourself as well. Well, I don't think there's almost anybody listening now who's not. You know, I think our listeners are doing stuff. And I think the question is, what do you do? You know, which is... Um, and I think people all over the world are. I mean, I think that when we started the... I, and this is when I say we started the U.S. movement. Catch the war in Vietnam. I was there. I mean, the first formal demonstration against the war was April 7, 1965. There been protests before, but this was just for a minute, everybody listening, because I always do history. Uh, you know, you know about the March on Washington, of course, again, for civil rights, which was August 1963. Less than two years later, Lyndon Johnson had run for office against Barry Goldwater, saying, if I'm elected, I'll be the peace candidate, and Barry Goldwater said, if I'm elected, I'm going to do even more damage in Vietnam. So Johnson won by a landslide, 65-35, crazy. And he was elected in November. He got in in January. By February, the same year, a month after getting in office, he started bombing North Vietnam a month later. And everybody was furious, and I'll get to Biden in a minute, because I think Biden's in grave trouble. So my point is, Channing, that when we had that march, there were we expected three to 5,000 people, and we had 30. Wow. And it was amazing. It was amazing, except for one problem. We represented a tiny, 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 <laughs> I mean, we represented just a tiny group of people in the United States, too. But it was a nonviolent coordinating committee. It was Joan Baez. It was Bob Dylan. It was, it was SDS. It wasn't nobody. It was a great group of people. I think the Palestinian movement now is doing great. And I think that there's nobody in the United States who is not taking a stand on this. And I don't think most people are sitting it out. I think they're either for it or against it, but I think the Hamas has finally forced this conversation. And I, and I think we're in the early stages of a new phase of Palestinian resistance, of which this charge is very, very important. So, uh, Okay, so now I'm going to read from, now we're back to the South African um, 
facts of the case that they're presenting to the United Nations and they're presenting to you, you and us, okay? So it says here, since that letter was written, the numbers have risen even more starkly because these are the new numbers I've been working with. 21,110 Palestinians in Gaza. Notice how they know it by specific numbers. And over 555,243 other Palestinians have been wounded, many severely. The death toll includes over 7,729 children, not including the 4,700 women and children still missing and presumed dead under the rubble. Entire multi-general families have been wiped out completely. Over 355,000 homes, equivalent to more than 60% of Gaza's housing stock in Gaza has been damaged or destroyed. 1.9 million Palestinians, approximately 85% of the total population, has been internally displaced. Many fled the north of the territory in the south, have been ordered to do by Israel, only be bombed again in the south and told to flee once again further south or southwest, where they're reduced to living in makeshift tents and camps with no water, sanitation, or facilities. Israel has bombed, shelled, and besieged Gaza's hospital with only 13 of 36 hospitals partially functional. No fully functional hospital left in North Gaza. Gaza's healthcare system has all but collapsed where reports of operations, including amputations and cesarean sections, taking place without an aesthetic. A significant proportion of the wounded and sick are unable to access any or adequate care. Contagious and epidemic diseases are rife among the displaced Palestinian people, with experts warning of the risk of meningitis, cholera, and other outbreaks. The entire population in Gaza is it imminent risk of famine, or is the proportion of households affected by acute food insecurity is the largest ever recorded according to the Integrated Food Security Phase classification? Experts warn that silent, slow deaths caused by hunger and thirst risk surpassing those violent deaths already caused by Israeli bombs and missiles. Um, just a couple of thoughts and. Um, we're not going to go to the phones, folks, but, you know, if you send an email, a thoughtful email to Eric and Channing, Eric at Voices from the Front Lines and Channing at Voices from the Front Lines, we'll read them next week. Uh, people will nicely say, hey, I, I just want you to know I'm listening. But tell us the impact of what we're doing, because we, one way we can get listeners on is to read your own emails. And if they're carefully formulated, I'll read them anyway. It's a chance for you to have your commentaries as part of our show. We want that. We're not getting it as much as we can. So let's just go over. And, and, yeah. and one other thing that we can do that's creative is you can, in the age of Instagram and all this video, send us a one-minute video of your commentary. And if it is an effective comment, we will play it. Cool. Play it on the show. Yes. Great. I go further. You send us a one-minute comment, we'll, we'll play it. <laughs> Whatever you say. 
We're just happy to do it, unless you're totally whacked. That's right. That's all references. But you know, if you if you've listened to the show long enough, we just want. I mean, within anything, it's free speech radio. We're so thrilled you have an opinion. Okay, so send it in. Where should they send it, Channing? Uh, to either Eric at Voices from the Front Lines or Channing at Voices from the Front Lines dot com, or you can go onto Instagram and send it to our Instagram account. No, just send it to Channing. I won't know what to do with it anyway. I'll just send it to Channing. So uh, please do that. I'm thinking out there. Um, let me just have a couple of thoughts I'm going through. Um, well, my wife Leanne is always a character on the show because she and I just talk. Like I mentioned Akuna, or I'll mention Barbara LaHond or Channing, of course. And Leanne, those are the main people I talk to politically. And the other day, Leanne and I were having a really nice time, and she said, so what are our responsibilities in the white settler state? And I said, you know, only the two of us would be having a great time and think that was a really good question, because I think it's the only question. What are we doing right now in the white settler state? I mean, when I go out for a walk and I'm cold, I go back to my house and I get another hoodie. But what if I didn't have one? What if I didn't have the first one I was wearing? What if I had nothing? What if I had no food, no water? I'm a very well taken care of human being, and I'm aware of that. Uh, One thing Palestine is doing for me, by the way, is I been going through some, you know, depressing specific events in my life. And I was working on my article last night and my back was hurting. Please believe me, this is a minor, I'm saying. But I was able to say, who gives a, Eric, write your general article. You think the people in Palestine care that you have lower back pain? And that's not guilt, folks. It's responsibility to do my job. And it helps. It helps to know I'm part of a movement and lives are on the line. I can't even imagine reading this, what we're going to do. Do you know, Channing, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Are there, can you tell us about any demonstrations happening in the next three, four, or five days that people would go to? I think Code Pick is doing something. Could you look? Okay, it looks like the most important thing that's happening this weekend awkwardly is in D.C., and there's going to be a march on Washington of hundreds of thousands of folks in support of Palestine. I haven't seen anything in Los Angeles, but if you subscribe to our uh, email newsletter, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, as soon as we hear something, we will send it out. And the last thing I will say is, I do know that there is talks of a visual of some kind um, coming up in Venice. I don't remember the date, and I know that there's a planning meeting coming up. Um, And so as soon as we hear about actions, we'll have it on the website, and we'll send it out to our newsletter. But I want to tell you something that's really important here. Uh, Frank Durrell is just, uh, he does Addicted to War, uh, he's just one of the most terrific people. He puts something out almost every day. And I want to read you something he put out. Um, 
I'm going to give, uh, since I can't find his addicted to war email, I'm going to give you his own because I think he's allowed, he'd like you to reach him. So Frank Durrell, D-O-R-R-E-L, frank.durrell at gmail.com. On Saturday, January 20th, which is you know, a week from Saturday, uh, I'll be there. You're invited to a special KPFK fundraiser. Saturday, January 20th, 1 to 3.30 p.m. at the Culver Palms United Methodist Church uh, with Michael Novick, inter Interim General Manager, KPFK, Jeff Cohn, Teresa Bontain, Jim Lafferty, Eric Mann, Reverend Janet McKeithen, Maureen Cruz, John Parker, S.T. Chandler, Dave Clennon, Matt Cedillo, Matt Cedillo and Rachel Brunke. Uh Music by Julio the Conga Poet, hosted by Frank Durrell. Receptions to follow. We'll make a check to Frank Durrell, 3967 Shed Terrace, Cova City. We'll pay at the door $25 to $50 sliding scale. Uh, and now he's using frank.durrell at gmail.com. So I'll be there, obviously, and I'll be paying and paying $50, I'll tell you right now, that uh, I hope a bunch of us from the Strategy Center can be there. Because that's where a lot of the people doing the best downside war work will be there. And you can learn about our work in terms of helping, in particular, black students right now who are facing genocide in L.A., our work on Palestine. Jenny, why don't you tell us about our King Day event? And this is Eric Mann and Jenny Martinez. We're on Voices from the front line join KPFK, 90.7 FM, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And I'm going to take a chance to just say that if you call 818-985-5735 and ask for Terry Guy if, if nobody picks up, tell him that Eric said for $250, you can get the Al Jazeera four DVD set called Nakba, The Great Catastrophe, which I know they have. And if not, I'll make sure you get it. Okay. Uh, Channing, what's up? Sure. So King Day, we always see it as a day on, not a day off. And so one of the great things about moving to strategy and so is the parade moves right in front of strategy and so on. So it's awesome. And uh, the organizers of the King Parade come every year and uh, talk with us and encourage us to be open. And so we're excited to participate. Um, this year, I think, is one of the, the first year after we've done the LA Times Festival books and we learned how to do a outdoor bookstore. And so this year we're going to do our outdoor out door bookstore on our really wide sidewalk along with all kinds of activities for the kids um, and food, popcorn, uh, soda, coffee, anything that you can think of. And we would love for you to join us. There are two publications in particular, though, that we are going to be talking about that day. One is an article that Eric has written and has rewritten the introduction for every year, um, All Hail the Revolutionary King. Um, which is about Dr. King, about the alliance between Dr. King and Malcolm X, and about how the Democratic Party wants to think that Malcolm, um, sorry, that Martin was a pacifist, even though he was a very militant um, organizer. Second is 
as we talked about in the beginning of this show, Eric is writing an article that reflects our show from last week, talking about Netanyahu and really making the case against Netanyahu. Um, And so as South Africa is making their indictment right, the Strategy Center is coming out, or Voices from the Front Lines is coming out and making our indictment as well. Um, And I think both of them are really important pieces that you should read. Well, especially since you put me on spot to have something ready for the second one, I got to get... Uh, but thank you. Yes, I will. And thanks to Jesse Coleman, my editor, one of my editors, for updating the the whole body of the article. So I can just, I, the title of the new article, it's always called All Hail the Revolutionary King, is going to be Martin Luther King is marching with us in support of the people of Palestine. He lived. Not he would have marched with us. He is marching with us. Awesome. Um, so that's I'm working on that. I have a deadline on Sunday. I'll have it done. Uh, thank you to Jeffrey St. Clair, my editor there. I kind of punch. Now, Tim, uh, does Strategy and Soul have an address? Yes, it does. Uh, Strategy and Soul Bookstore, 3542 Martin Luther King Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90008. And as always, if you have any questions, you can call 213 213- What are the cross streets? Crenshaw and King. Cool place. Uh, I know we only have three more minutes, but I do want to plug just another event as well that we are having, which is the Great Debaters on February 1st. This is the Strategy and Soul uh, Film and Book Club, and we're going to be watching the Great Debaters and Eric Mann and Akuna Uka, who is also the other co-host of Voices, We'll be debating live right after the film and talking about debating strategies. So let me just elaborate that a little bit. So uh, please come out. It's Thursday night, February 1st. We're just getting the flyer out now. You can go on. Uh, well, if you're on the voices list, you're going to get it. Isn't that cool? And um, if not, they'll go out on strategycenter.org. It'll be right up there, right, to get tickets if they want it. Absolutely. And you can go on our Instagram now and you'll see the link directly to the get tickets. Well, you and Mortalati are uh, doing this. Is Mortalati Walker, you'll meet her too. One of our new organizers who's now the manager of the bookstore. All right, so real quick. There's an amazing film called The Great Debaters. It stars uh, the great Denzel Washington as Malvin B. Tolson. Uh, if you can imagine, this is at Wiley College in Texas. One of the first, that's an HBCU, it's an all-black school. He is a professor of debate at day and a communist organizer of sharecroppers at night. Yes, an actual communist. Uh, and Cornell plays him. Uh, Cornell. Um, Denzel plays it great. Then, if you can imagine, besides... Um, there's a Denzel, Denzel Whitaker, that's his real name, plays the 14-year-old James Farmer Jr. His father's Forrest Whitaker, the real Forrest Whitaker. Don't complicate it. But Denzel Whitaker plays a 14-year-old debater in 1935. Imagine in 1964... James Farmer is my boss. I, I'm so proud of him at the Congress of Racial Equality. It's a lot. The content of the debate is all about civil rights. 
but it's got uh, Jernay Smollett. Uh, it's got an amazing cast. Uh, one of the key debates is a woman. It's a, it's a lot of debates about black liberation. So debating is so important. And afterwards, Akuna and I, she, she taught, debated um, New Roads. I was in the Cornell University debate team in 1848. And um, we're going to debate each other. We're going to debate each other. So it'll be fun. Tickets are on sale. You can get them. And Channing, take it out. And thank you for everything. As always, we, we welcome you to call KPFK 818-985-5735 and donate because KPFK needs your help. And as we have reiterated a million times during the show, go on to VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Send us an email at Eric or Channing at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com or a video and we'll play it if it's uh, ethical. And uh, with that we will see you next week all power to the people yes, regrets I've had a few but then again too few to mention I did what I had to do and saw it through Without exemption